Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is a gospel lesson which speaks about the sending of the 72 who were to go out and to preach that the kingdom of God was near and to destroy the power of the devil. And I add to those words which we read, these continuing words from verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see, and to hear what you hear but did not hear. Here ends our text. One day, when our son Christian was getting up from a nap, that's back in the days when he was little. He came down and his mother was out uh, in the yard behind the house and she could hear him, but as he called out and she called back, he couldn't hear her. And all she could hear was, Mom, Mom. And finally, in a note of frustration, he yelled out, What kind of a mom are you anyway? And that's the way in which we oftentimes feel about our God. What kind of a God are you anyway that you would allow these kinds of things to happen to me, to us, in our life? My great-grandfather was sent from the seminary out to be a pastor out on the plains of Nebraska about as far as the trains had gone, and then he had to go by foot. He had 14 different preaching stations, and like so many pastors back in those days, you relied upon your wife to be the organist. He and his wife, Bertha, had a little baby, and that baby she put upon the organ bench while she was playing for the worship service, and the baby fell off the organ bench and died. What kind of a God are you? Where are you? Why is it that you have not heard me? Why, God, do you seem to be such a weak God? That's, I imagine, what the world would have thought as it looked at Jesus sending out these 72 what kind of a God would send out to gather in this harvest, he says, this, this harvest of souls, this gift of everlasting life where he was going to engage in conflict with the devil and all his hosts. He was going to bring the hearts of darkened people who had turned their hearts against God and he was going to change them. And who does he send? Not an army. He does not send anybody with lightning bolts coming off their hands like the Mount of Transfiguration. He sends mere mortal, weak 
men. And he sends them out, he says, like little lambs among wolves. Little lambs, defenseless, unable to be able to do anything, not equipped with anything that would defend them against the assaults of these wolves. And even at that, he sends them with no provisions. They were to go out and to rely upon the preaching, the teaching of the gospel and the words of Christ as that which moved the hearts of men to support them. As they went to a house, if peace came upon that house, they were to enter, not go house to house to house as though they were begging, house, and they were to sit there and wait and accept whatever it is that would be given unto them. These were weak people who were representing what looked like a weak God. Martin Luther, however, tells us in his words of wisdom, as we'll see today in our Bible study as well, that it is actually the weak God that is the strong God. And it is the so-called strong God, small g, of this world that always try to present themselves as being strong that are not only weak gods, but are no gods at all. Our God is a weak God. This weak God is the strong God because the words of those messengers are the very words of the Son of God who has received them from his Father. These are the words that Jesus spoke. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. He says, all things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Yeah, the words of those messengers are the very words of the Father himself that the Son has given unto them, and they are, as Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life. And those words that Peter speaks about were the creative, all-powerful words of God that when those words are spoken, what they declare becomes exactly so in the presence of God. Yeah, he sends them out with these words because he is the one who has in reality destroyed the power of Satan. Where does Satan get his power? Satan's power actually is that he reaches for God's own law and he uses that law to destroy us and our consciences. He has the power to be able to accuse our conscience and to drive us in that guilt away from God, for he reveals through that law the God of wrath. So Christ, in order to destroy the power that Satan can use, 
He comes and fulfills the law for us and in our place. And he comes and he suffers and he dies upon that cross to bear the very punishment and wrath of God against mankind for the sins of the world so that God is both just and the justifier. And he is the one who has now, by fulfilling the law for us, he has removed that curse and that condemnation of the law. So this message which they bring is a message that the kingdom of God is near, namely, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling men to himself, not imputing or holding men's sins against them. And this message was committed to these men to turn their hearts back to the living God. Satan's power is also in illusions and the deceptions of the world. His power is in the, I guess you might call it, the temptations of the flesh. If God revealed himself in glory, as strange as it might sound, we would never be able to tell the difference between God and Satan, for Satan is the master of all illusions. Satan's glory, like those miracles of Moses, those miracles of the satanic men who were serving Pharaoh, they could duplicate Moses' miracles. One was an illusion, the other was real, but you could not tell the difference. And if God revealed himself in all his Mount of Transfiguration glory, there's no doubt that Satan, who took Jesus to another mountain and there showed him all the glory and the splendor of the world, that we would ever know the difference. So what does Christ do? The all-powerful God becomes the weak God. And he comes and he takes on our mortal human flesh and he's born in a manger. He comes and he lives among us as a common man so that when we see the true and the living God, it is the God who comes to us in weakness, the God who comes to us in humility, the God who comes to us in lowliness. And it is also those whom he uses to bring the kingdom of God near to us who themselves are also coming to us, as Paul said in that epistle, in weakness. Satan's claim upon us is that we are not worthy to be called God's children. And if we sit back and think a little bit about what our conscience has been telling us all week, we would find out that he's been there and he has left his footprints in our minds and in our hearts, isn't he? That we are not worthy, that we are not worthy because we are sinful. We are not worthy because we have violated God's law. We are not worthy because the things of this world have become more important than the things of God to us. And every time that our conscience speaks those words to us, Satan puts his little tentacles right into our mind and heart and claims that God would not want us or care for us. So Jesus does something different. He reveals this in this section in chapter 10. He says, don't rejoice merely that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice over this, that your names have been written in heaven. God chose you. 
it was not your doing, it was not your works, it was not your abilities, it was not your qualities, it's not your righteousness, it's not your holiness. God chose you. And his grace and his mercy does not depend upon your or my worthiness, but rather upon him and his own will and choosing. That's why Jesus said, you tell them the kingdom of God is near. It's so interesting that Jesus told them that they would get a chance to see the kingdom of God, those three, Peter, James, and John. He brings them up upon the mountain. And what do they see? We say it in our liturgy with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. We, we don't just say those words. What we are saying is that the kingdom of God is here. It is here in its lowliness, and yet it is also here in its glory. And there, down below, where sinners are coming to God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness, that all of heaven is present here and now. We are mere human beings. We are weak human beings who are representatives of the weak God. But there is power in the message that belongs to each and every one of us because it is a message that Christ has given to us as he has sent us into the world. And it is a message that here in Christ the curse of the law has now been removed. That the law no longer has this power over us. That Satan can no longer use that law against us. That he no longer has the right to be able to destroy us. Because we have Christ who was destroyed for us. We are indeed lambs living among wolves. But the one who protects us is greater than all those in the world who have the power to be able to deceive us and to destroy us. And he is the one who always promises like the Passover where that blood of Christ is to be found. There the angel of wrath passes over. There death no longer has its power over us. But all that would condemn us, all that would harm us, all the wolves of this world may not, cannot harm us at all because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And there, the wrath of God is always turned away. We, though we be weak, and though it seems as though our God is a weak God, we are messengers who have a guarantee and a promise. God sends us out in the world, not with two days' bread, but always with one day's bread. That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Give us this day our daily bread bread with all that we need to support our body and our life he reminds us that even the birds of the air don't fall apart from his will and that the glory that even a flower of the field has not even Solomon in all his glory was able to have that he promises us that he will care for us and provide for us and he assures us that the reason for this is not because of who we are and what we have done and how holy we have been, 
but he promises us that it is because before time and eternity, our names were written in heaven. This promise of the weak God is indeed something which is far stronger than anything that this world has to offer. And the weak God is always the strong God so that we who are weak will always remain strong. That story that ends that little child falling off of that organ pew or organ bench and dies, you can well imagine how it is that the mother would feel the guilt, the anxiety, the depression, the sadness that one might feel in losing a child like that. But it was that same hand or that same woman that gathered together a bunch of flowers out in her garden and gathered together a collage of a picture with certain words in German that were taken from the Psalms. Seya in meiner Handa habe ich dich gesegnet. See, I have held you in the palm of my hand. He will never leave. He will never forsake you. He is the strong God that is also the weak God. Amen. May this peace of God that surpasses all human wisdom keep your hearts and your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.